Hello and welcome back to Collision Cast, Fender Bender's official podcast, helping collision repair shop operators make money, save money, and work smarter. I'm your host, Paul Hodowanik, staff writer for Fender Bender. And today we have a really, really excellent episode. We are talking about a topic that I know is on the top of a lot of people's minds right now, and that is the employee shortage. We're going to talk about why you may struggle to hire and what you could be doing to better hire and better attract talent. Uh, Side note, we just had an article come out on Fender Bender addressing where are the techs. We talked to the OEMs, the the trainers, the different uh, technical colleges, all to try to figure out where the techs are and understand their struggles and what they're doing to try to get people into this industry so we have a younger pipeline of talent coming in. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out, go to FenderBender.com. It's going to be right up on the top of the website, so you'll be able to easily find it. And yeah, go read up on what some of the industry are doing to help and where we think this trend could be going. But on the podcast today, we have Aaron Stokes. He's the founder of ShopFix Academy. If you are familiar with Ratchet & Wrench, you're familiar with Aaron Stokes. He is a columnist on our sister publication at Ratchet & Wrench. He is a very bright mind in the industry, a very outspoken mind in the industry. He owns ShopFix Academy, which is a coaching group, and most of his work centers around mechanical. That's who he coaches. That's kind of his mindset. But in terms of hiring, it works for everyone. I mean, the mechanical industry is looking for techs. The collision industry is looking for techs. It's much of the same. So this conversation that Aaron has with our editorial director, Anna Zek, has implications for all industries. So while he may reference a repair shop, mechanical repair shop, everything you're going to hear today is really, really applicable to the collision repair industry, and he gives tons of good tips on how to hire people better, how to attract, how to make yourself more attractive, and what you could be doing wrong, why you may struggle to hire. So I'm really looking forward to this one. I will shut up and let you listen. Thanks. You know, one one question on the second topic there about becoming your best self and like representing yourself in a good way. Why do you think it is that so many shop owners, like, like there are people in our industry who run multi-million dollar businesses um, and are super successful, but why do you think like they're, like you were saying, even their appearance, like doesn't communicate that or they don't carry themselves like that? There are people that um, have a certain set of skills, a talent stack or a skill stack, if you will. And so for one guy, it may be that he has the skill of sales and he has the skill of leadership and maybe the skill of marketing. And for him, that works. And maybe there's another one that's got the management skill and has the numbers uh, down and is really, really good at recruiting. And so it doesn't matter what it is, but you can have a different set of skills that for you and your unique personality make you uber successful. Then the question is on the flip side of that, uh, it, it, once you recognize it and you see that's helping you get to that next level, who are you recruiting around you for your weaknesses, right? So I'm not good at the technology piece. I've got two or three people that are really good at that that are around me. Um, I'm not always the best at being the most approachable and being aware of everything that's happening around me. So I've got people around me for that. And I feel like I'm pretty approachable, but there's always somebody that's more approachable than me. And I feel like I'm pretty good with technology. There's always somebody better than me. So I'm one of those 
jack of all trades, which is a weakness for me, honestly, in a lot of scenarios at the higher level, but is a strength at a lower level. And so I think when you meet a guy, like you said, who's doing really well and you're like, holy cow, this guy, he might be making a million a year and he dresses like he's making 50 grand a year. Yes. He, he probably is so good and so driven um, that on the number side and maybe on the recruiting side, you know, selling the vision, et cetera, he's just crushing it there. But he has a number two you've never met. Mm-hmm. And that number two is the charismatic, got it all together, you know, probably is really good at the sales side, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But because this guy's so driven and has so much vision, he can push it onto that other one and they don't care how he dresses. All they care about is the check, right? So that's able to connect and work for them. And you're only seeing that one piece. And I will also point out, there are people that you meet that have it all together. Their hair's perfect. They got the best cool sunglasses. They look super sharp. And they're in debt to their eyeballs. They don't have two nickels to rub together. They're broke. And so you got that side too. So it's both ends of the spectrum. I just would say that when you meet somebody who is broke, they probably don't have all those right people around them. That, that's really the key piece. See, for me, it worked great. Two, three stores on my own. I'm, I can be that jack of all trades, be decent at a lot of things know a little about a lot of things and be successful. The moment I want to go to that next level though, what happens is you get funneled down. Like as you grow and open up a business, you have to hand, maybe maybe you hand off marketing or maybe you hand off the numbers. And as you start to hand things off, your focus gets more and more and more narrow. Well, that means that whatever you focused on, you've got to be the best. And I, I don't know, I don't know what that is. You know, I, I don't know uh, for each person if they've handed off the right items so that whatever they're left with is their core competency, their core strength. Um, but I think that that's where all this is at. And, and honestly, you're going to meet guys that were like me that are a jack of all trades that maybe have it decently together on everything, but they never get past making three, 400,000 a year net profit or never get past doing maybe a couple million a year in gross sales just because they have never been able to hand off the right things and grab a hold of the right things. So this is a very complicated but interesting topic, I think, if you really dive into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like that requires like a certain level of self-awareness. Um, is that something that for you is, was like innate or did you like, when did you realize like, wow, maybe I'm not as approachable as I thought? Um, sorry. I, as you know, we're driving and, uh, my, somebody just tried to call me and it flipped out the Bluetooth there. Um, uh, I I think that the self-awareness piece is everything. Um, I have this lesson I like to teach on, you know, when you get out of the shower, if you forget to turn the fan on, the mirror's all fogged up, right? You can't see yourself. You see the shape, the glob in the mirror that has got you behind it, but you can't see what you look like. And I personally believe that when someone has limited personal development, they can't see themselves in that mirror. It's foggy. But when they remember to turn that fan on, all of a sudden when they get out of the shower, everything's clear. Everything comes into the light. And so I believe that most people 
are not good at remembering to turn that fan on. You may go, well, what's the fan? Well, the fan is just, how do I um, uh, give pe people around me permission to reflect, to be a mirror back to me with my skill set? So um, I could go to some of my managers and go, if I screw up, please tell me. Or I go, hey, guys, um, I know I'm not really on this. Please, you know, point out where I'm missing it. Or what do you guys think? Maybe I do it from that angle. Whatever it might be, I have to come at this from the right place where everyone is around me. Everyone around me is able to be a mirror and reflect back to me what I truly am, what Aaron truly is. And as long as I have that, and as long as I've given them full permission, the mirror is clean. The mirror doesn't have all of that moisture on it. But if I've said it and I don't mean it, if my actions don't line up, then the people around me, they're not being true reflections. They're not being true mirrors. And so what ends up happening is the mirror itself is foggy. I only have an idea of how I'm being perceived and I miss the boat. So I show up making, you know, $500,000 a year, looking like I make 50 grand a year, worn out jeans, worn out tennis shoes, um, you know, bad haircut, glasses from the eighties. Somebody right now is listening to, you know, to the, the podcast looking at the glasses going what the heck is that all about and so all of that comes together as one and really causes the issue that uh you know as you laid out is the lack of personal development for sure so do you think that people who are like business owners they've been in this a while but they don't like what they're doing they don't like the position that they've like promoted themselves to have not retained what is actually their core competency and what they're best at? Um, I, I think that when you see somebody that levels off, people always want to blame fear. They're always like, Oh, they're scared. They're afraid. I don't think that's it. I think that fear comes after what the real problem is. I personally think the real problem is that they don't have all of those right people around them. And without those right people, we get the issues that you and I are talking about. So for example, if um, I am, uh, how can I say this? Um, if I am weak at sales and I know I'm weak at sales, but I've never really worked on it. And instead, what I've done is I've gone and I've hired people and I've hired people around marketing, leadership, management, recruiting, you know, uh, uh, they're, they're, maybe they're good as a technician, you know, whatever. And I have never actually acknowledged that I'm weak at sales. And I think I'm good at sales because I've always been the owner. I could always play the owner card and go, oh, I'm the owner. And they go, oh, I must buy. You're the owner. The problem with that is that when you're the owner, if you really stop and think about it, your place of authority is what's allowing you to get someone to buy. Not really your skill set. And the problem is I can't give my authority, like this hat can't take it off and hand it Mm -hmm. to you or someone else and go say, oh, because Aaron said they're now going to buy. Now, to a degree, if you get enough authority, you could honestly be able to say because Aaron said and people would listen. 
However, that's not in the real world. In the real world, you're talking to some customer that doesn't know you at all, and you've got to be able to sell it. And if you say, my owner said, they don't give a crap. So how do I teach somebody how to get into a relationship, close the sale, and then go to the next level? Well, first off, I don't believe in closing the sale. There's a, there's a huge difference. You need a close whenever you don't have somebody following you to the promised land. But if I have somebody already following me to the promised land, begging me to sell them whatever it is I'm selling them, there's no close needed. A close is implying that there is resistance to what I am trying to get them to do. And true sales is the transference of belief, right? So if I believe that this repair is going to fix your problem, Anna, then I have to be able to say, all right, this is what you should do. You should move to this level and you should uh, spend this kind of money with me and you should do X, Y, Z and don't do a level two diagnostic, do a level three, put the transmission in your car. If that's what's needed, spend $2,500 with me and believe me. And if I can do that, I've transferred my belief to you. Now, if I have that skill set and I'm really, really good at it, I can teach that to someone else. But if I'm not, what happens is, is my company grows. I'm not great at selling, so I can't sell somebody on working for me. I can't sell managers on an idea. I can't sell them, uh, employees on why they should do it my way. I can't teach someone else to sell. I just make the appearance that I am. And so because I keep making this appearance and people don't get any better around me, the shop just keeps hitting the ceiling, right? And so I'm making good money, but let's say all my shops do a million a year. They're all doing 80 grand a month. None of them really are performing. None of them are really crushing it. I could have 10 of them. And then this one guy has one store doing 350,000 a month. He makes more than me with all 10 of my stores doing 80 a month because he's out running his overhead. He's just crushing it. So because I've never worked on that skill set, I've never really focused in. I've always had this missing piece. And if you really think about it, even for you, do you have a talent stack? And when you get a certain set of skills, all of a sudden you feel totally the same. You're worth way more money. The moment you get that one extra skill set, it's that missing piece you've had. And so I really encourage people, you're now an entrepreneur. You're not a shop owner anymore. You've got to stack these skills. And if you can stack these skills and get the right talent stack, oh my gosh, all of a sudden now your value to the world is way up and you're breaking through. But the problem is, if you don't identify, I'm, I'm kind of weak at that. And you don't even got to say it to yourself. You just got to know it and then hire people around you that are better at it and go, hey, why don't you teach that? You don't even have to admit it. But you still need to take action on that. You still got to do it. And I think a lot of people don't. And I, I think that's ultimately what happens. And so then the reason they don't grow and open the next door is, yes, they are afraid that next door isn't going to do well. But they are afraid because their weakness is starting to get exposed. The more mm-hmm. stretched they get, the more weak they look and they know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned this a little bit, but how does this all play into hiring and retention? Um, I think that for hiring and retention, hiring and retention is a different angle. Um, one, I got to be able to appear the right way and uh, uh uh, not the wrong way. So I'm not a big guy, right? But I have to appear strong. I, I have a big personality. But what I've noticed is when I'm not comfortable, I'm muted. I'm very withdrawn. I can come off as very quiet. I can sit in the back of the room. I'm very unassuming. No one even knows. Mm-hmm. And because of that, my wife has pointed out that I do this in social gatherings with us as a family. We go to somebody else's house. 
it's not my turf. It's not my territory. I'm not comfortable. I'm over here playing on my phone, doing whatever. I'm not really talking to people. I wait for them to come up and talk to me. I am naturally an introvert. I am not an, a natural extrovert. I have to have time where I go and I'm by myself for a little bit. And so I, uh, I, I personally think when you're doing the recruiting and the hiring thing, you have to notice your natural tendencies and overcome them. So for me, in a party setting, if I'm not hosting, even a Christmas party, if I'm not in charge, I'm pretty quiet. If I'm the host, man, you're going to know it and you're going to have a great time. You should, you should come. It'll be great next week, Thursday. No, I'm <laughs> but, um, but if I'm not comfortable, I, I'm weak there. And now why is that? My wife one day said, why are you like this? Every time, blah, blah, blah. You don't go make friends and all this stuff. And I go, do I do that? And she goes, yeah. And, but I have made it so my wife's comfortable telling me what I suck at. And she has, is encouraging enough that we have the relational capacity. I can hear from her. A lot of men, their wives are so nagging that they cannot hear one piece of criticism mm -hmm. from her without the defenses coming up, the walls come up. What are you saying? I'm a loser. And they throw the baby out the bathwater and they get all extreme arguments get started and, and vice versa. I just have noticed it more that the women nitpick the men more. Now, what I see the, uh, the man do a lot of times is not, like a, a man needs respect from his wife, right? A woman needs love from her husband. Mm -hmm. And so a man won't slow down to show her love. And her love may be time. It may be looking deep into her eyes. It may be buying her gifts. It may be writing her a love letter every single day, forever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Whatever that thing is, he has to understand that so that he and she can be that sandpaper for each other and rub the rough edges off. That's the number one way. And even people with boyfriends and girlfriends, whatever, their significant other, that's the number one way you grow as a person is your spouse can speak into your life without any worry that you're going to respond negatively. If you can do that, you will start to see the process change. You will start to see yourself change as a person and grow as a person. Then that leads to the next level. And the next level is you being able to say, all right, I'm, I'm becoming self-aware because my wife tells me, I suck at parties. I don't do the right thing. I don't connect with people. And because she's done that and I was able to receive, our marriage is strong enough. I could hear it. I didn't get mad at her. I agreed with her. I was then able to start to change. Now I am interviewing somebody and I'm meeting them in a Starbucks. It's not my turf. Mm -hmm. I don't know them. It's not my current relationship. How am I being perceived? I can take what she's talked to me about and I can apply it. Then I take that a step further. Um, I'm good. I'm weak. Am I able to sit down and talk to somebody and talk out the sales piece without, um, how would I put this? Um, without coming off as slimy, pushy, um, arrogant, uh, you know, insincere. How do I come off as authentic, real? But I'm so passionate about this being able to help you, Mr. Customer, that I've got to get you to buy. Like I would if I was your brother. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I, I, have to, I have to think about that. If you came to my shop, I got to go, okay, you're my sister. How do I protect you and get you to do the right thing? I don't even know if you have a brother. But if you did, you would be able to say, man, I'll listen to that person because 
they're related to me and I trust them. It could be your dad, your uncle, your cousin, whatever, because they have nothing that they're trying to harm you with. Mm -hmm. And I need to know in sales that this person's not trying to harm me and wants their good over my good. And if you can learn that skill set, you're very strong. So now if I've learned this skill set, I'm sitting in a Starbucks, I'm talking to a technician, I'm trying to convince this guy. Well, this guy's going to think, all right, they're just trying to get me to work for him because they want me and they want my skill set. They don't care about me at all. But if I lead in with, hey, this may be the great, uh, 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 the great next deal for you, next opportunity for you. This may be an amazing uh, thing that you should jump on, or this may not be a great fit for you at all. And I just want to you know, have an open and honest discourse right now. And I just want to talk it out. And if you don't think this is the right move, hey, that's cool. And if I don't think it's the right move, that's cool. And let's just keep in touch. Can we start with that? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. Well, listen, um, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for this type of guy. I can do this, this, and this. Do you think you can do that? And they go, yeah, I think I can. All right, great. And if I'm a solid communicator, I don't use ums. I don't, you know, go, uh, you know, I don't uh, hesitate too much. And a lot of people don't know this. They, they've noticed that I talk loud. And I heard a guy who trains public speakers and he told, taught me this. And it's so true. If you talk at 20% higher volume, you will cut out all of your ums naturally. You don't wow. even think. Because you're never going to go, uh, hey, Anna, I want to tell you about this thing. And um, um, uh, uh, yeah, because it's you, you notice you're doing it. Yeah. I'm talking like this and I go, hey, I want to talk to you about this thing. Um, uh, yeah, uh, it's more natural. You're going to say the ums. And I had noticed I talked loud and I don't do a lot of ums. But when I heard this guy break it down, it was like this light bulb that went off. So when I get into an interview. Ums come off of the technician as not very confident. I want to be confident. And technicians see everything as broken or fixed, mm -hmm. broken or fixed. They're trained that way. Most technicians aren't good with people. Not all, but most. So because of that, when they sit in front of me, they're doing that broken, fixed, broken, fixed thing. Well, how is it that they view me? It's not, they don't literally say broken or fixed. They say weak leader, strong leader, good manager, bad manager, you know, whatever. And they're looking at you going, can I work for you? If they don't respect you, much like how a man needs respect from his wife, if they don't respect you, I mean, it's over. They're, they're going to be nice. They're going to shake your hand, tell you they're thinking about it. They're going to leave. And then when you go to text them again, they're going to ghost you. And then you're going to go, oh, my gosh, that guy's a loser. I would never hire him. Blah, blah, blah. Ne never pointing out the fact that you sucked as an interviewer, that you came off as unconfident. You came off as a loser owner. And it's just the truth. And so we need to master those skills. And if we're not good at them, we need to be able to admit it to ourselves and take our number two that's better at that than us. And then we will finally start to see growth. Like people need to see this. If, if your shop is blown out right now and you don't get that next person for six months, your competitor down the street does, they're going to grow and they're always going to be six months ahead of you. Mm -hmm. And then if they do the next thing and they get another six months, before you know it, they're a year ahead of you, et cetera, et cetera. So you need to learn these skills. You, you've got to know them so you can move up. And, and honestly, it's for any position out there. I don't care if you're the number two in a company and you're not the number one and you're helping somebody. If you're the manager and you're working for an owner and you're listening to this or reading this, you know, you have got to understand that what it is you're trying to do right now is make that person successful. And if you make yourself so uh, 
just needed, so indispensable that if they lose you, they're going to lose everything, then you're sold. I mean, you're solid at that point. They're not, I mean, they're done. They're not going anywhere. They're, they're going to pay you whatever they got to pay you. If you make them rich, they're going to make you rich. And there are some people that are cut out for that. They do not want the risk of entrepreneurship. They've watched what it's done to the entrepreneur they work for. They have no desire to do it. And that's fine. But that entrepreneur should recognize that and go, you know what? They're nipping at my heels. If I want to make them rich, if I want to make them successful, whatever their version of rich, successful, wealthy is, I want to make them that. And I need to step up and do my part. Meaning I need to give them authority, give them opportunity and let them step out and try it. And if I do that, oh my gosh, great things are going to happen, right? I mean, that's where, that's where the breakthrough is. Yeah, absolutely. Not Sorry, I got a rant there. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, it is pretty deep. I'm wondering like for people listening, what is something that they can start with or like, how should they begin to tackle this when it sounds big? I personally think where I learned the most was in practice. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed a lot at a lot of stores, never stop recruiting. So that'd be one. Two, start learning how to meet new people. Shop owners are inherently shy, myself included. Learn how to walk up and go, hey, I don't believe we've met. Like soon as you walk up to somebody, if there's three guys in a crew, in, in a group, and you walk up and you don't know any of them, and that's like the scariest thing, especially in high school. They're all three sitting in a, mm -hmm. you know, standing there and they're all talking, right? Um, you need to be able to walk up and introduce yourself. And that's the scariest thing in the world. You're like, you start sweating profusely. and Just don't even think about it. Just go do it. They're not even going to remember it 30 minutes from now. Walk straight up and go, hey, guys, my name's Aaron. And they're going to go, oh, my name's blah, blah, blah. Like, it's natural. If I walked up to you and said, hey, my name's Aaron, you'd say your name. Like, right then. It's just, that's just how life works. You don't have to come up with this crazy deal. Just walk up, put your hand out, state your name. It's not rocket science. And if we all did that, I think we'd have breakthrough at a level that um, we've never had before. Hmm. And I, I just think that people need to go and they need to practice. Um, I think that is what you need to do for sales. I think that's what you need to do for recruiting. I think you need to get comfortable around people. Mm -hmm. That's it. Just get comfortable around people. Um, I'm sure you weren't comfortable the first time y'all put on a conference and then by the time you did the second one, it was easier and the third. And before you know it, you're up in front of the whole crowd and it doesn't bother you. But the first time you're like, Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do I, how do I get used to this? I do this with my coaches here, here I'm at the building or conference center and I'll have guys that'll get in front and 30 people. They're, they're nervous and I'll step them up in front of 60 people. Then it's a hundred. And it's 200 and it's 300 and, you know, so on. Our last big conference, you know, we at one point had 750 people in the room. And so I, you know, only had a couple guys get up in front of that group, but they were like, oh my gosh, they were freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people. And so you got to get practice. So all this stuff we're talking about is just the skill set of dealing with people. So how do we get good at it? You go practice it. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you the last thing you do, find somebody that's good at it yourself and go copy. Mm -hmm.